Romans chapter 10, verse number 17. This is very, very familiar. Very, very familiar. If you're there, say amen. You can't look at the screen tonight. Amen. So then, faith cometh by hearing. Everybody say hearing. hearing. And hearing by the word of God. If there was a way to just sum this up, faith comes when you hear the word. Faith comes when you hear the word. Does anybody here believe that? Faith comes when you hear the word. Now, I'm going to give you my title, and then we're going to, uh, we're going to go to James together, the book of James. But I'm going to give you my title and then let you be seated. I want to talk to you tonight from this subject. It's time to put some go with the no, the K-N-O-W. We've got to put some go with the no. Look at your neighbor and tell you got to go on what you know. I'm, that was almost convincing. I want you to turn to somebody else tonight and look at them and tell them, you got to go with what you know. <laughs> you may be seated in Jesus' name. If you will... Allow me tonight to just kind of work through a couple things. I don't know up front how preachy I'm, I'm going to be, but I want to lay some groundwork. Uh, I was uh, last week, this, at this time, we were gathered here in this same meeting, and then uh, I left here Wednesday night after church and drove up to Fort Wayne to be with my family and our students at uh, HYC. <clears throat> and uh, it was a great turnout, great conference, a lot of people. But I've, I've had a lot of uh, conversation churning in my head. I sat in the office the other day with a, a pastor friend from out west that's helping us with this. Uh, he helped us connect with all the people that are working with us. And he started talking to me about fellowship, and he got my, my mind working and... Uh, when I went to HYC, it just kept digging at me. And then the season that we're in right now, it just continues to dig at me. Uh, of some things that we are, we're, we're addicted to. We are addicted to fellowship. And it's not bad. It, that, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. Don't think I'm starting off on, on the wrong foot here. But we are, we're addicted to fellowship. We are addicted to the idea of belonging to something. And that's why when we try to introduce people to Jesus, we always use the church as the vehicle. In other words, it, it's very, very seldom that we start a conversation with somebody by saying, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. It usually starts with, you should come to church with me sometime. You understand what I'm saying? Now, we want church growth, and, and we want that. I'm going to challenge you in just a little bit. We want church growth. But Jesus said to go into all the world. Everybody say go. go. So if you don't go, then they don't know. And the problem is that we know some things because we've been told some things. We've been addicted to the idea of being together. And when that gets upset, when that gets changed, man, it really challenges the way that a Pentecostal thinks when, when we can't be together. It's like it shifts our momentum completely and, and, and we get in a mess. And I want to tell you why. It's because we are addicted to knowing. We're addicted to hearing another sermon. We're addicted to conferences. We go to meetings to hear things now, you may hear a preacher preach it in a way that you say, man, I've never heard it like that. But you've heard it. You've heard the concept. You've heard the principle. You may, they may bring it out in a little different way than you've ever heard it. But you've heard what they're saying. We, we know. And I'm, I'm going to jump out here and say tonight that probably 95% or more 
of us that are in this room right now know enough of the Word of God that we could win somebody to Jesus by next week. But we're, we're addicted to knowing, and because we're addicted to knowing, then we get in this concept and mindset that what if I, what if I try to tell somebody, and when I tell somebody, they ask me something that I don't know? What if I tell them about Jesus, and then they ask me a hard question? What could they possibly ask you that you would not know an answer to? And I, I mean, just let that run through your mind. And if, they, if they, you didn't know a real good answer, how hard would it be to call somebody in this body and say, hey, listen, I've got a question. I learned a long, long time ago when we did Bible study training years and years ago, probably in the 90s, we were doing some Bible study training uh, here. Brother Cornwell video, did some videos, and he had gone other places we were visiting. And... He said, there is so much value in learning the lesson that I don't know is not a sin. It is not a sin for you to tell somebody, I don't know the answer to that, but I can get you an answer for that. And so what I'm saying to you tonight, church, is that we have this issue. The, the closer we get to God, that's what we say, the closer we get to God, the more church that we want to that we, we want. To come together and have more church. And you know, Pastor, I'm like, more church, that's better. I like having more church. But I'm going to get tougher just a second. And I want to ask you, what are we going to do with all the church that we've had? Because now we know some things. And when we stand before the Lord, the Bible said that we're going to be judged by the Word. This is a word-rich church. This is an amazing church to preach in. I love to preach in this church. And evangelists love to preach in this church because it's a church that loves the word. But can I just pastor you for a minute and tell you tonight, we've got to put some go with the no. This year, if we're going to see the kingdom of God expand, it's not going to be because we come to church and just preach about harvest. It's going to be because we know it's time for the harvest and we start going with what we know. There's a, there's a big language that, that is spoken among the faith community. And it is the language is that you're on a faith journey. I don't know where all this came from. It's like, I don't know where you're at on your faith journey. But like, I mean, my deal is I want to get saved and I want to stay saved. And I want to get everybody saved that I can get saved. Oh, God, I'm fixing to get into it right here. But we are not going to win the world sitting in here waiting on them to come. Thank God for the few that stop by. Thank God for the few that come in. But the only way we're going to win them to the cross is to lead them to the cross. How many of you know that there is no substitute for prayer? I mean, there's nothing in this world that changes us like the power of prayer. But please don't raise your hand on this. But how many of us are praying more right now than we were praying this time last year? It's because we understand the value of talking the language. When we sit down with people, we'll say to them, well, you know, they, they come to us for counsel. What would you do? Oh, I'd, I'd pray. There's nothing like prayer. I'd pray about that. But we don't pray anymore. We'll go to a conference about prayer and come home and maybe two or three days we'll pray about prayer. And, and, and we get excited about it. And then it's back to the old norm. I'm calling this church tonight on this Wednesday night. I'm calling you out of your comfort zones this year. And I'm telling you it's time that we begin to develop understanding the value of putting some feet on our faith. We know that faith comes when we hear the word of God. If you believe that, shout yes. But it is not the will of God for us to 
grow our faith and to, uh, to, to get our faith by hearing the word of God and then to sit in the four walls of the church for the next 12 months and let our faith sit in an echo chamber of everybody that believes like we do and everybody that thinks the same way that we think. I'm going to tell you what I was praying about in this church today. I said, God, I don't know what we're going to do. And I felt the Lord impress on me. He said, put a challenge on the people, on every single person in this room tonight. There is no reason whatsoever that even if you've never done it before, that every person in this room could not win one person to Jesus this year. I'm not, I'm not talking about going somewhere and meeting somebody you don't know. I'm talking about somebody that loves you and somebody that knows you and somebody that's called you and said, could you pray for me? I'm talking about somebody that said, would you have your church pray for me? Hey, I want to tell you, we got to put some go with what we know. It's time to put some feet on our faith. Thank God for the faith that we have. Thank God for the preaching we hear. But I want to take the preaching of the Word of God and I want to invite that faith in my life to come alive. I want that faith to move me. I want that faith to be a catalyst that, that gets me outside of the church to tell somebody how good God has been. If you believe it, shout yes. Would you clap to the Lord with me? Now, if you go... To the book of James with me, chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse number 21. This is what your Bible says. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness. The engrafted word. I wish I had time to talk to you about the engrafted word. It's so good. Which is able to save your souls. Does everybody here believe what James is saying? It is the word of God that will save your souls. Everybody got your seatbelts on now. Because James is fixing to put it on you. This isn't pastor. Let James put it on you. He said, but be ye, I couldn't hear you. What's that? But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Deceiving your own selves. You know, I learned a long time ago in leading that you can't guilt people into, lead, into loving something. That's, you, you can't, if somebody don't want to pay their tithes, you can't guilt them into paying their tithes. If they don't want to give, you can't guilt them into giving. If they don't want to pray, you can't guilt them into praying. You can't, you can't get up and guilt somebody into worship because it's not worship. Right? If, if, I've got to, if I've got to guilt my spouse into loving me, that's not love. That's, that's like, well, I guess it's obligatory. I mean, how, how many times do we walk into church and it's just like it's obligatory? It's just I'm obligated to do it. I'm here because we do it. And then we feel a little bit better in the middle of church. It gets just a little bit better. And then maybe we're encouraged before we leave. Or some of us may hit one of them dry spells where we're, we're counting down from the time we walk in until we leave. And we sit there and, and, and we may even do it secretly where nobody sees it, but there's a few folks in here that I know for sure have rolled their eyes a little bit in church. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm preaching really good right now. We've had some eye rollers in the church, you know. But I want to tell you when it usually happens in somebody's lives. It happens in our lives when what we're hearing come across the pulpit is contrary to what we want to do. Well... And when we start hearing people talk about winning souls, it gets us uncomfortable because we love to talk the language of being Pentecostal. But can I, can I, just, can I just talk to you tonight? But what we really mean is we're addicted to a feeling. 
We love what we feel when we come together. But my question to you is, when is this excitement that we feel going to be so valuable to us that we think everybody in the world ought to experience that? You know what? This is such a powerful thing. I think everybody in the world ought to hear that. Tonight when I came in and, and, and the workers were working out in the lobby, the, the gentleman that was working, running the crew, he's got his office set up out there. I walked by him. I said, hey, man, you guys might as well all stay for church tonight. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> might as well stay. Why do you feel that way, Pastor? Because I think everybody needs to feel the Holy Ghost. I think everybody ought to have the Holy Ghost. I think everybody ought to hear the gospel message. Church, I'm telling you, this is better than just holding on to and keeping it in the four walls of the church. We've got to put some go with our no. So, I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess with you tonight just a little bit. If we are hearers only and not doers, James said, you are deceiving yourself. So there's, there's a lot of talk about, in, uh, in theological circles, there's a lot of talk about works. You can't be saved by works. Well, the truth is we're saved by grace, by faith. We're saved by His grace. There's no debating whether or not I'm saved by His grace or I'm saved by my works. Because I'm not, I'm not saved by anything I can do. Anybody believe that in here tonight? There's nothing I can do to make myself deserve salvation. Not one thing in this world that I can do. But where we cross over a line is this. I can't do anything to deserve salvation. But I'm going to have to learn how to do a few things to hold on to salvation. Now I'm, I'm not going to walk out of the word at all. We're going to stay right here in the book of James, and I want to take you to the book of James, the next chapter, chapter 2. This is, this is so tough. This has been just ripping through my spirit, ripping through my heart, not in a bad way. It's good. I like it when, when, when God talks to us like this. James chapter 2 and verse number 17. James chapter 2 and verse 17. Now Romans told us tonight in 10 and 17 that faith comes by hearing. The Word of God. Everybody's with me on that. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And if we are hearers only and not doers, we are deceiving ourselves. And James continues the conversation. He said in 17, uh, chapter 2 and verse 17, Even so faith, if it has not... Somebody preach that to me. See, works is just Pentecostal language. Works is just you Pentecostals trying to get people. Works, there's no such thing as Pentecostal scripture. There's just the Bible. That's it. And James said that faith without some legs on it, it's dead. So I'm saying this to you. The concept is this. Faith comes by hearing. I heard the word of God. Baptized in Jesus' name. Filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm walking in the faith. But if I don't start walking with that faith, James said the faith that I received. Man, y'all are preaching so good. That faith without works. He said, yeah, there's going to be a man that will say, Thou hast faith, verse 18, and I have works. Now, stick with this language. I'm going to read this very slowly. A man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? He said, you want to start talking the conversation about faith and works. This is what you need to know. You can't have one without the other. It's like love and marriage. You can't, you, you, you can't have faith and have no works. 
There's a lot of people that have works and call that their faith, but that's not true. James said, when you really have faith in God and that faith is working in you, he said, there's going to be some works that are happening in your life. As a matter of fact, he said, the way that I'm going to show you my faith is by the works that I do. So I I truly wonder when the apostolic church is going to come to the place where we realize that just sitting around and talking about our faith among the faithful is not what God was talking about with work. We've got to show people that there is something more to life. Listen, this city tonight is filled with drug addicts. It's filled with alcoholics. It's filled with broken people. And they don't just need to know somebody's churchy. They don't just need to talk to somebody that, yeah, I go to church. No, no. They don't just need to know you go to church. They need to see some works in your life that when Jesus touched you, he made a difference in your life. And if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. can do it for you. If God did it for me, he can do it for you. Well, pastor, I mean, like, really, when is the appropriate time? All the time. Live with it on your mind all the time. I love the way Jesus said it. He said, let your light so shine before men. You guys can finish this for me. That they would see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. He said, men seeing your works is what glorifies God. So I want to present my case to you tonight if I could. How many of you truly believe with me tonight that what we did a few minutes ago, singing and praising and clapping and and dancing, how many of you believe that glorifies God? Well, I, I wouldn't live without it. I'm telling you, I wouldn't live without that. I don't want to be a part of something where we can't be apostolic in our worship. And every now and then, I, I, may, I may put a little pressure on you when we're getting a little quiet and sitting and look like we've been baptized in pickle juice. It's not because I'm mad at you. It's because we're glorifying God when we do that. I believe in glorifying God. But if the only place I glorify God is in his holy temple, I really wonder how much glory I'm bringing to the kingdom of God. What would happen if we would walk in here and glorify God and our lives would be lifted up and our hearts would be challenged and our lives would be changed and when we walk outside the door, we would let men see our good works and our works would glorify our Father outside the church and somebody would look at us and know there's something different about them. They are so excited all the time. I don't know why they're always smiling. I don't know. Listen, we've, we've got to be different in more than just our worship. We've got to be different. I'm not saying you don't have bad days. We all have bad days. But I just don't believe in no mopey Holy Ghost. Man, I appreciate both of y'all. I said I don't believe in no mopey Holy Ghost. I don't, I don't believe in driving through the drive through full of the Holy Ghost and and, and, and somebody asks you, how are you today? Like, oh. Okay. I've been better. So, I mean, it is what it is. I'm, I'm going to tell you all my little secret, okay? Don't get mad at me. I have intentionally gone to different cashiers because I checked out with that one before. I've walked in there and made the mistake of saying, how are you today? And I'm like, I will never do that again. But there are people that have the Holy Ghost that are exactly, well, they, they say they do. <laughs> and they act exactly the same way. Hey, listen to me. I'm going to tell you from my heart tonight. Holy Ghost filled people don't have asphalt in their chin. From dragging that bottom lip everywhere. We ought to get up every day, even if it's a rough day, and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. 
and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Come on, we ought to get up every day and say my worst day serving the Lord is better than my best day without him. I'm so in love with Jesus. I want to tell somebody about Jesus. So my mind, my mind works in a very interesting way. And uh, you know that, but... I, I like to read things that are they're a little bit different. Sometimes you find a gold nugget in it. And these past few days, I started, to, I started the new year off in a book that's just a simple book about habits. It's like a scientific study on how habits work. And if, uh, if, you, can, if you can start a habit, then you can stop a habit. Regardless of what a, a psychologist tells you, it is a fact, like there's, there's no question chemically in your mind, whatever you did to start that habit, you can stop it. And they, they start with this story in the prologue, and this is going to be like really vague because it's, it's a forever long story, but this woman was in a tough season of life. She was unhealthy, and she was, you know, had a lot of things going. She was sucking cigarettes down like there was no tomorrow, had eaten until she was uh, out of shape, she just wasn't good. Her husband had left her and gone to a girlfriend, so they were split up. And 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 so she said she got so addicted to smoking that she just it, it was just a habit. Like she never just one after the other. She was awake. She needed one hanging out of her mouth. You know, just just a habit. And she got in with this uh, with this this clinic. I didn't. I don't fully understand how, how they do this. this. Is what they published in the book that. Uh, they had a way that they could study um, certain portions of the brain that blood would rush to when they had an urge. So whenever someone had an urge to take a drink or an urge to, to smoke a cigarette or whatever their addiction was, that there was a certain part of the brain they could study that it was like a surge of energy would come to the brain. It was like the pre-dopamine hit. And so they, this woman is in the study with this. And so she shows up back to this clinic sometime later. And she's, she's thin and trim and not smoking and in perfect health. And they said, well, what in the world? You, we were studying you for habits. You're, you're, you're not even the same person. They said, what happened? And she said, well, when I got divorced, she went through the whole deal. She said, my husband left me, divorced me. And I realized I was getting older, and she said, I didn't have any money, I didn't have a job, but my credit cards weren't maxed out yet. And she said, I'm going to get back on my feet, but i got to do something drastic. And she said, I've always wanted to see the pyramids, so she got on, she booked her a flight to Egypt, to Cairo. And she got on the flight and went to Cairo, Egypt. And she had jet lag, if you've ever had it, it's, a, it's an amazing Feet of creation. Jet lag is something else to deal with. And she's laying in this strange hotel in Cairo, Egypt. And she woke up. She's on this adventure to change her life forever. And she woke up and realized how bad she needed a cigarette. So she reached over on the table in the dark and she picked up her cigarette. She put it in her mouth, pulled her lighter up to it, lit the cigarette. She said, I got the worst smell of plastic that you could imagine. And she said, I literally realized that I was so desperate for a drag off of a cigarette that I had lit the pen on fire that was laying next to my bed. She said, I was so addicted that I was holding my lighter at the end of this ink pen and I had sucked in the vapors of the plastic because I was so addicted and I had to have it. And she said... I didn't, even, I didn't think about it. It was because it was a habit. I didn't think about the texture being weird on my tongue or the weight being different. She said, I just felt the shape, and I picked it up, and I put it in my mouth, and I lit it. And she said, I figured that if I had that as a learned behavior, that I could set a goal in my life and unlearn that behavior. This is kind of preaching y'all love right here, isn't it? Would you rather me do miracle signs and wonders? There are trends that happen in our lives 
that we can begin to undo. There are trigger points in our lives that we can begin to undo so that all of the times we say, I didn't have time to pray today, you can change that. Come on now. I'm, I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution. I'm talking about some resolve in the New Year. I'm talking about a shame to live for God for 30 years and mother never to have read through your Bible. I, honestly, God, I cannot imagine. If I had to get me back in the day, we used to do it on a tape deck, didn't we, Memo? She played that Alexander Scorby. You'd walk in there and she'd have that old tape deck playing, reading that Bible. If I had to get me a, 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 an audio Bible and play through it to help me, I would get through the Word of God every year. If I didn't get through it at least once, I'd do whatever I had to do. Get through the Word of God. Get it in your spirit. Well, I don't really have time. Well, because when I drive, I love that country music. Come on now, I've got my pattern. I got I've got my pattern worked out here. I, I want to tell you what I'm figuring out. The richest people in the world don't have any more time than I do. And the most spiritual people in the world don't have any more time than I do. We figure out a way to put some go. Come on, y'all are starting to get it now. Yes, pastor, there is power in prayer, but I'm tired of talking about prayer, and I'm ready to start praying. I want prayer to be that thing in the middle of the night that I reach over and get a hold of because I'm addicted to it. It's become a habit in my life. I can't live without prayer. When I wake up in the morning, I'm giving God praise. When I go about the day, I'm giving God praise. When I lay my head down at night, I'm giving God praise. Oh, my, my, my. Somebody shout this with me tonight. It's time to go with what we know. So I'm almost done telling you stories, but I'm telling you, this, this intrigued me so much. The author of this book um, was a newspaper reporter that based uh, he based in Baghdad as a journalist during the Iraqi war. And he said that he first became intrigued with the, the science of habits while he was being a news reporter in Baghdad. And he said, the U.S. military, it occurred to me as I watched it in action, was one of the biggest habit formation experiments in history. As I watched the military, he said, from basic training on, they start teaching men and, and women habits. Like, once you've been to boot camp, you never have the excuse ever again to have shoes that aren't shined. Like, you never have an excuse to leave your bed unmade. Well, how, how did I mean it? When that kid left home, he never cleaned his room. He came home and cleaned his bed. You know why? Because they develop habits under a little pressure and duress, mind you. He said, but I started watching. He said, literally, it, it's the biggest habit-forming experiment known to mankind. They take people from every walk of life, every race, West Coast, East Coast, Midwest, doesn't matter, where are they from? They take them all to boot camps, whether it's the Army, the Marines, the Navy, whatever it is. And by the time they're done with them, it don't matter if they're black, white, Hispanic, Chinese, doesn't matter what they are. It's amazing that all of them have different backgrounds, but they all do the same thing. Now, some of you might be picking up where I'm going, but you do, you do know that's, that's what the church is all about. There's neither Jew nor Greek or bond nor free or male nor female. He said there's something about the Holy Ghost. It'll make you sit down and eat the same thing. doesn't matter who they are or where they're from. Tonight after I, after I told Emilio they need to stay for church, I, I don't know if they would or not. 
was worth a shot. And I walked in. I said, Brother Boaz, you ready to preach with me tonight? <laughs> he said, let's go, Pastor. He said, I started watching these, these troops. They're in a foreign country. They're out of their element. But the habits that they learn, they continue. How to shoot, how to think, how to communicate under fire. When they get, when they get in, the, in the heat of the battle, they don't start freaking out because they trained for it before they got to it. Oh, God. Can I, can I just break this down Gerber style for you? That means you don't start praying when trouble comes. You've been praying so much that when trouble comes, you say, Psh, it's just trouble. I'm going to keep on praying. God's got it. Come on, somebody. He said the entire organization relies on endlessly rehearsed routines for building bases and setting strategic priorities and deciding how to respond to attacks. It's like, it's like even though they've never been there before, they've been there. They have prepared themselves for I believe, I believe we can do this in the kingdom of God. I, you may think I'm nuts, but I'm telling you, I believe that we can do this in the kingdom of God. I believe that we can be so strategic in our warfare that before the enemy ever tries it, the, war, the Lord said to be wise to his devices. I believe that before the devil ever does it, we can say, I knew it was coming because I've been tapped in in the Holy Ghost. I will not lose my family. I will not lose my soul. Come on, somebody. He said in the early days of the war, and I'm just going to read some captions. I just snapped a picture to, to, to read this to you. I'm, I'm going to move fast. He said, but in the early days of war when the insurgency was spreading and death tolls were mounting, he said the commanders started looking for habits that they could instill among soldiers and Iraqis that might create a lasting and durable peace. He said, I had been in Iraq for about two months when I heard about an officer that was conducting an impromptu habit modification program in Kufa, a small city about 90 miles south of the capital. He was an army major who spent his time analyzing videotapes of the recent riots and he identified a pattern. And I'm, I'm going to hurry through this to get to the point. He said the violence was usually preceded by a crowd of Iraqis gathering in a plaza or an open space. And over the course of several hours, the group would grow in size. And as the group would grow in size, food vendors that were trying to capitalize on it financially... He said the, these, these men selling kebabs and different food, their food carts, they would show up. And so then when they showed up, more people came. And the ones that had been there already, he said, they would begin to get food. And then someone in the group would throw a rock or a bottle and all the chaos would ensue. The crowd began to grow. He said, so he went to the mayor of Kufa and he sat down with him. And he said, Mayor, I, I, I just want to try something. He said, sure, we'll try anything, whatever we have to do. He said, I believe we can fix this. Now, folks, this is going to sound crazy. He said, I believe we can fix all of these riots that are happening in, in, in the square. He said, anything, officer, whatever we need to do. He said, I want you to tell the food vendors to stay away. He said, whatever you say, sir. He said, can you keep them out? He said, I, yeah, I can keep them out. He said, don't let the food vendors come in. So they're all standing around one day and they, they start watching. The Iraqi government starts watching and the square downtown gets filled up with people. Well, after a while, the people started getting hungry. But the kebab, the, the kebab vendor doesn't show up and the shawarma vendor doesn't show up. and all, you know, Nobody's showing up. They said after a while, the people got so hungry, the vendors didn't show up. They had already called in the U U.S. military and said, hey, get down here. The, the, the group's growing. Get down here. Stay with us. So the military came in. They just stood there and watched. And they said, by 8 o'clock that night, everybody was gone. Because they stopped feeding them. Whatever you feed is what hangs around. Ain't nobody going to help me preach in here tonight. I said, what you feed is what hangs around. 
If, if, you, if you want revival in your life, you, when revival's hanging around, you got to feed revival. Come on, if, if you want revival in your family, you're going to have to start feeding revival in your family. If you want a prayer life, you got to feed that prayer life. And when doubt and confusion and misery and depression comes around, you need to tell the depression vendor, stay out of here. You need to tell the vendor of confusion, stay out of here. I'm about to put some go on what I know. And the word says, greater is he that is in me than he that's in. I don't have to feed that doubt and I don't have to feed that confusion. You want to know how to stop the chaos? Stop feeding the chaos. Stop telling it it's welcome there. Stop allowing it to dwell in your home. We've got to put some things that we know on the go. We can do it. What you feed is what stays around. I'm quickly coming to a close tonight. I don't know anybody that I've learned more from in prayer in my adult life in ministry than Bishop Holmes. Just to watch the way that, that he moves, I thank God for my family that taught me how to pray. But watching Bishop Holmes is so funny because when you, when you watch the way that, that he does, Bishop Joel Holmes, it's like, I've never seen, my wife can tell you, I've, I've never seen anybody just pray like that. You can be standing in a restaurant, a whole group standing in a restaurant. Somebody will say, man, ain't God good? And he'll say, oh, yes, God's good. Let's just gather up and thank the Lord for a minute. And we'll just have prayer meeting right there in the mall. It don't matter where you're at, prayer. It's reaching over and grabbing hold of that thing that you're addicted to. You understand what I'm saying? We think we got to have this, this little setup. Well, we pray on Thursday night. Yeah, we do, but... But could you imagine what would happen if you were about two hours in when you got here on Thursday nights? Could you imagine what service would be like if, if 30 minutes before wasn't the first time you tapped in that day? But you had been feeding all day long from the time you got up. Sister Holmes told my wife, I wasn't sitting at that table I was visiting with, with Bishop. She told my wife, she said, when my husband had cancer was going through his treatments every morning at 4 o'clock without fail. No matter how sick he was, she said every morning at 4 o'clock, he would get up and drag himself out of the bed and he'd go pray for at least an hour every morning. Sick on that chemotherapy, get up and pray every morning. How, how do people do that? Someone in his condition would say, how do people not do that? You understand what I'm saying? What we, what we feed is what lives. And we've got to quit coming up with excuses for why we can't win the lost, why we can't pray, why we can't fast. Well, my blood sugar gets messed up when I fast. I wonder what would happen if we just do our best. Come on now. Let's do our best. My God, have mercy. It gets quiet when I start preaching like this to you guys. I like, I like preaching revival. This is revival. This is how we have perpetual revival. This is how this church in 2023 doubles to get ready for the coming of the Lord. Right here. This is how it happens. I had a conversation as I finished tonight. I had a conversation the other day with a man in this church. And he came up to me in the short of the conversation as we began to talk. He was moved to tears. As he began to tell me, Pastor, I don't think that we've quite opened up our minds big enough for what God wants to do in this church. The magnitude, the magnitude of what God has promised this church. What we've seen, what we believed, what we felt, what we've experienced. But if I can just be straight with y'all, and you'll, you'll still love me when I'm done. I hope you do. But I'm going to tell you, 
the number one reason why we're not seeing the revival that we long to see. It's not because God hasn't sent it. It's not because of the city that we live in. It's because of excuses for why we can't have it. The disciples came to Jesus. He said, these, they, they said, these people are hungry out here. Should we go into town? Should, should, should we send them home? And every answer that they gave to Jesus was, send them away. Go somewhere else or get it. And Jesus, he said, what do you have? They said, well, we don't have anything. But there's a lad over here. And he's got five loaves and two fish. And I love this question. They said, but I mean, what are they? Come on, you're preaching. What are they? And we hear somebody come in here and prophesy revival. I, I ain't going to lie to you. Sometimes I, sometimes I get jealous. that Everybody has trouble. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes being an evangelist is pretty good. So you just go in and preach faith and then let pastor deal with the people that don't want to have faith. <laughs> come on. Evangelist will come in here and pump us up for two weeks or seven weeks or 11 weeks or whatever we do. Like, we're going to have revival. We're going to have revival. Man, I just hadn't had time to pray. I just, I'd love to fast more, but you know, the schedule that I keep, it's just hard for me to, am I, am I talking anybody's language in here tonight? Man, I would love for God to open up the doors for me to have more time to teach more Bible studies. Let me tell you what I've told some young people in this church that tell me they want to be in ministry and don't have time to teach somebody the word of God. They said, someday I'd like to be full-time in ministry. Someday I'd like to go work somewhere and be full-time. How many, how many Bible studies are you teaching right now? I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that if we'll get so busy doing the work of God, that God will make a way for us financially, that we'll have more time to teach more than we've ever taught and love more people than we've ever loved. I know now... If the music would come, I know now why old-time preachers used to preach against so many things. I really do. Because it's amazing how much time we spend on distractions. Have you ever tried to pray for an hour and get sidetracked or fall asleep or whatever, but you sit down in front of a screen? And a two-hour movie, you're like, Two hours and 40 minutes of your day is a tithe of your time. Over the last 10 years, Hollywood has been expanding the time period in their movies. Used to be an hour and 40 minutes. Now they've expanded it to over two hours. They say they can hold people's attention because we're in a Netflix generation. Do you realize that every time you sit down in front of a movie, you have just given a tithe of your time to Hollywood? And then we come to the Lord and say, I wish I had more time to seek you. Woo, it's quiet in here. But I told the Lord I wanted it to be sober in here when we finished tonight. Because I know we don't have a great big altar area, but this is our prayer room. If these walls in here could talk the hours and hours of prayer that have been invested and soaked into the walls of this church. Church family, I'm going to tell you. I don't really know what God has planned in 2023, but I know what I have planned. I want to put some go to what I know. I'm tired of talking about revival. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm tired of talking about harvest. I want to have harvest. I want you to get this picture with me, if you would, of a bunch of farmers standing around with their hands in their pockets looking at a field saying, man, I sure, I sure wish it'd grow. Shaking their head. Man, I, is your field like this? I don't know what's wrong. That's what, that's what we do a lot as apostolics. We stand and stare at the field and say, man, I, I wish it'd grow. But Paul gave us a neat, little, a neat little insight. He said, one of us is going to have to plant. One of us is going to have to water. God's going to have to give the increase. 
I don't know if you folks know this or not. I hope you do. But I want to tell you that as your pastor, I believe in you. I, I'm, I'm not just standing here tonight as your pastor because I like to have good church. We do pretty good with that. We have good church. But I'm not just here tonight because I like to have good church. I'm here because I believe in the people that God has put here under the sound of my voice tonight. And you may not know it yet, but I'm looking at a room full of world changers. I'm looking at a room full of people who in the next few days as we go into this new year, you're done making excuses for why you can't. And you're going to start looking for every new, every avenue for why God can and why you can and how it's going to happen. And so tonight before we pray, we're going to pray over a commitment. This is going to be big. I'm telling you, but I felt it in the Holy Ghost. This is going to be big. But I'm asking for a commitment tonight from this church like I've never asked in my ministry in this church. I'm not, I'm not talking about by next week. I'm talking about by December the 31st of this year. Whether you've ever done it or not, that by December the 31st of 2023, if the Lord does not return, if you will commit to the Lord, and to me as your pastor tonight, that by December the 31st of this year, you will do everything in your power to lock on to one, just one person and win them to the Lord. I'm talking about not just come to church. I'm talking about repenting of their sins, get baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and stay with them for this year to disciple them. If you will make a commitment tonight that you will do everything you can, even if it's the first time in your life, to win one soul to Jesus in 2023, I'd like for you to stand tonight. Can you imagine what our New Year's Eve service is going to look like next year? I'm talking about taking out all the stops. I'm talking about finding finding somebody that's hungry. Keep working on the ones that, are, that you're working on that, that are hard, they're hard to get to. I'm talking about somebody that you know is hungry and you're going to start praying, God, put me in the right path at the right time with the right person. And I'm going to do everything I can. If I have to call them every week, text them every week, buy them a coffee every week. But I'm going to do whatever I have to do to win one soul to Jesus this year. Now all across this room, and I feel, I feel a special touch in here right now. I want you to just raise your hands to Jesus now and begin to ask him for the wisdom. I'm telling you, tears are going to start flowing in this room. There is something big happening in the womb of this church tonight. I felt it in prayer all day today. If you feel led to do so right now, find you a place and turn. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Woo! You can find you a place and turn around, pray in your seat, or there's a few spaces up here in the altar. But you're going to win one soul to Jesus this year. I want you to begin to ask God tonight for the wisdom to lead that soul to Jesus and to lead them as a disciple. Come on, church, right now, just let the Spirit move on you. Tears are beginning to fall in this room because you're feeling the weight of what I'm preaching and teaching to you tonight. You're going to win one soul to Jesus this year. This year. Woo, God, I feel him here. That's it all across this room. Submit your will to the Lord. Would you do that? Woo! If you can physically do it, find yourself at a, an altar. Make an altar at your seat. Kneel down. If you want to lean forward on the seat.